Democrat Lauren Arthur from suburban Kansas City has touched off a minor political earthquake in Missouri and nationally with her huge victory in the June 5th special election to choose a new state senator. The 17th district had been represented by a Republican for more than a decade, and its voters had backed Donald Trump for president in 2016. Arthur carried the district by 20 points, which has prompted both parties to closely examine how she did it. We caught up with Arthur in the Missouri Capitol as she prepares to move into her new Senate office after spending four years in the State House. Let's cue the music. This is the Politically Speaking Podcast, a candid conversation with the Show Me State's biggest political newsmakers. I'm Jason Rosenbaum. And I'm Joe Manis. Elections should be about your accomplishments. What have you done to qualify you for the position and why are you qualified to run? I'm going to push back on these regulators. I'm doing this for the people. I was encouraged along the way, not just by my family, but by a lot of teachers and professors and knew when I was in college that I would run for office someday. We're very excited about the prospect of having some more free market solutions. Even though after the conversation, I still might not agree. We want our listeners to get a real sense of what drives these people. They're actually people with a story to tell. Hi, this is Joe Manis with St. Louis Public Radio. I'm the fill-in host this week for the Politically Speaking podcast. My co-host and general tech wizard, Jason Rosenbaum, is on maternity leave. So I've taken the opportunity. I'm in the office of State Senator Gina Walsh to interview the newest state senator-elect who's like the buzz of the nation. Hi, great to be here. Sorry that we can't do it in my house office. There's not enough room for everyone. And and give us your name. The, I am Lauren Arthur. <laughs> okay. A Democrat from? Kansas City. And I won election during the special election in Kansas City. My Senate district covers most of Clay County. And I'm very excited uh, about the opportunity to serve in the Senate. I served four years in the House and uh, very much look forward to working on issues in the Senate now. Now, one of the reasons there's so much buzz about your victory about, what, a week ago? Mm -hmm. Is that, A, it was by 20 points over a fairly well-known Republican colleague, Kevin Corlew. Right. And second, this is a suburban district. So the suburbs, many believe, and I'm among them, believe that that's where the 2018 midterm elections are going to be played out, that the suburbs are going to decide arguably who's going to win statewide, and it could determine who is in control of the U.S. Senate. Um, The suburbs, it's going to depend on the percentage that come out for one party or the other, but also turnout. And I've got all these theories that I won't bore people with right now about how I think that the Republicans would like to see a lower turnout in St. Louis County, which is a whole other story, but it's related in some ways to your victory and what it says. Well, first, when will you be sworn in? There's still conversation around that. Um, Very likely I'll be sworn in during our veto session in September. Right now the Secretary of State is still certifying the results, Um, but quite possibly veto session, however we're working through uh, when that date will actually be. So if you're uh, sworn in during veto session, does that mean you will only be able to run one more time? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and that's that's some of what we're working through and trying to figure out right now. So how long will your term in this particular uh, term last? I would run for re-election in November of 2020. Okay. Mm -hmm. okay, so without further ado, you want to talk a little bit about your victory, how you did it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, like you said, the district that I now represent is truly a swing dist district. It's one of the last purple counties in Missouri, and I think that's why so many people watched it with such great interest. Um, like you said, it was held by a Republican for the last 13 years, um, it, so it's a really exciting thing to see that seat flip from red to blue. Um, but also, it was a district that went to Trump by four points, but Jason Kander won by fifty-five point or fifty-five percent of the vote as well. Yeah, and just so our listeners know, Jason Kander was the Democratic nominee for the U.S. Senate twenty sixteen, narrowly lost statewide. Mm -hmm. um, go ahead, and 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 before you go too far, I also want you to give our listeners a little bit of history about you. Sure. Where you're from. Why you got into politics? Well, How old are that's you? That's a great question, and I ask myself that every day um, about why Why did I decide to go into this? But uh, I am 30 years old. I am lucky enough to represent the district where I grew up. So, you know, my parents are constituents. That is as much fun as it sounds. But I get to represent neighbors. I get to represent friends and family and people I went to school with. Um, and that's a really great honor to make sure that those people have a strong advocate and a strong voice in their state government. Um, so I grew up in the area. I went to all of our public schools. I decided to go away for college. And um, when I graduated, I knew that I wanted to make a difference. And initially, I thought I would make a difference on the other side of the world. And I met with someone who was a recruiter for a program called Teach for America. And he said, you know, I think it's great that you want to go on the other side of the world to make a difference, but there's a lot of need in Kansas City as well. And um, I really believe that education can be a transformational experience for people. And I wanted every child to have a great education, have all of those opportunities available to them. And I thought that I could make the most impact in a classroom. And so I, I taught sixth and eighth grade, and um, I loved my, I loved, still love, and am still in contact with a lot of my students. And it was a pretty eye-opening experience that so many of them were coming to school without their basic needs being met. And I saw um, a lot of issues involving child poverty, and so my kids would come to school tired, and they would come to school hungry, having not eaten anything the night before, and um, it made me realize that a lot of the decisions that affected their lives were being made in Jefferson City, and I questioned some of those decisions. Um, and, and all of that aside, we also were expected to, to do certain things in, in our school and and you mean as far as teachers providing your own supplies? Exactly. And yeah, exactly. And um, I can remember going to uh, an administrator and saying, hey, there's a great new book. I think it would get kids really excited about reading, and uh, I think it would be a really engaging story. And there was a lot of pushback about buying this new classroom set of books when already uh, we didn't have all of the resources that some of the other wealthier districts had that were around us. 
And so I wanted to advocate for those students and decided to run for office. I also saw that young women were completely unrepresented at the time. So I was the first millennial woman elected. I was the only woman in her 20s at the State House. And um, I thought that I could provide a new perspective and a different voice. Now, um, during your four years in the House, what have you achieved, A, and B, what have been the challenges? Because, I mean, the Democrats are in a, in a minority. I mean, very small minority. Mm-hmm. Um, I understood that it was important for me to learn about the rules and learn about the process. And my first year, I, I just focused on observing how things worked. And I think that ended up working to my advantage. I also spent a lot of time building relationships. And um, relationships both within my caucus, but especially relationships with people across the aisle. And there are plenty of things on which we disagree, but there are also um, areas where we can work together. And I think it's important that we go out to dinner with different groups of people and we try to get to know each other as people, um, even though, you know, sometimes debate on the floor can be very heated. It's important to, to know who I'm working with, my colleagues, um, on a personal level, I believe. And so um, because I've built those relationships, it's a little easier to have conversations about would you be would you consider hearing this bill in committee or would you consider co-sponsoring this bill and helping me get it along in the process? And actually this year, um, like you said, it's difficult for minorities to pass bills, but I'm really proud that uh, even with a giant target on my back because I was in this very competitive state Senate seat or state Senate election, um, I was able to get two pieces of legislation across the finish line. What were they? The first bill um, involved foster care kids. So uh, under the old law, basically kids on- only under the age of 10 in foster care were required to receive preventative screenings and wellness screenings and they were required to go every two years. So this bill changed it such that uh, kids, uh, anyone in the foster care system, so anyone under the age of 18 would receive those preventative screenings for both health and mental health uh, wellness screenings. And it was according to something called the periodicity schedule uh, put forward by the American Pediatrics Association. Basically, it means foster care kids are going to receive better care, more appropriate care. And then the second bill involves uh, tax payment or interest on tax payments. So if as a taxpayer I send in my taxes late, I'm required to pay serious interest plus fees. If the Department of Revenue is late in sending my tax returns, they were only required to pay less than 1%. And so this legislation uh, levels the playing field, and it expects the Department of Revenue to pay the same kinds of interest that as taxpayers were expected to pay. And hopefully it means that people will receive their taxes in a more timely way, that they're not delayed in receiving those tax returns. But if, if uh, for some reason they receive their tax returns late, then they'll receive uh, fair compensation for that. Now, did you get any boost from then-Governor Eric Greitens or his wife, Sheena Greitens? Because I know foster care 
had been one of her issues. Yeah, it was a part of that uh, initiative proposal with, I think there were 20 initiatives, um, all intended to help kids in foster care. And they asked, or the department asked if I would consider sponsoring that bill. So looking, okay, what prompted you first to even consider running for the state Senate? When did you decide mm-hmm. that you were going to do this? And then talk a bit about, we don't always get into the ins and outs of campaigns, but I think in this case we do. Okay. Um, so if you can talk about when, when you decided to run, mm-hmm. I mean, how do you go about this in a special election, especially in a district that's been held by a Republican for more than a decade, even though it is te- technically a swing district? Right. Um, well, the first conversation I had with uh, was my husband, and I said, you know, is this something we should consider? And we weighed the pros and cons, and we understood that it was quite a risk at the time. There was no, I mean, now looking back, you know, there was a great margin of victory, but at the time, it was a very risky move. Um, But I believe in risk-taking, and I saw that I could make a much bigger impact in the Senate and have a, a greater ability to to make a difference in the Senate, and I thought that it would be worth it. Um, So I I called other state reps from the area. I expressed an interest, and, you know, one of the first people I called was Representative John Carpenter, who also is a state rep from Clay County. He has more seniority. He had more money. I said, and and we're personal friends. We've known each other a long time. I said, if you want to run for this seat, then I'll support you 100%. And he decided that he wasn't going to run for it and thankfully and very graciously supported my my candidacy. Um, So I spent a lot of time calling Democratic Central Committee members, and um, they are ultimately the decision makers in determining who gets the, the nomination for the Democratic candidate. So I called through them several times. I had built relationships with them over the years, but I asked for them to support my candidacy, and I shared with them what I had planned in terms of a campaign. Um, and spent a lot of time in a room making fundraising phone calls and trying to build some of the infrastructure so that if I got the nomination, I would be able to hit the ground running. Now, when did they decide? They decided March 1st. Okay, so you've got from March 1st <laughs> yeah. until June uh, 5th right. to do this. Yep, and okay. so uh, we knew that the other side would be very well-funded, and I focused quite a bit of time trying to raise enough money to make the race competitive. We also had an incredible field campaign, and we had dedicated field organizers who would call volunteers and ask them to to take shifts. Um, You know, I think there was a lot of momentum and energy on our side, but I want people to understand that this win was possible because people showed up and they put in the work. And so we had people throughout the entire week making phone calls. And I remember being in our, in our headquarters and seeing workers get off their shift. We, our headquarters was across the street from the Ford plant. We were right next door to the UAW hall. And workers would get off their shift, come pick up a packet, and knock doors. We had families on the weekends come in and decide to canvas neighborhoods together. And so they were especially motivated. They saw this as an opportunity to flip a seat. And I also think that they were pretty 
disappointed by what they saw in Jefferson City this year and what they had seen from Jefferson City over the last several years. And um, and so it was a, a team effort. We had people around the state writing postcards and mailing them into the district so voters would be aware that there was an election on June 5th. That was one of the biggest obstacles. It's such an unusual day for an election that just drawing awareness to the fact that there was an election was an important part. But um, in the end, we knocked over 50,000 doors. We made over 150,000 phone calls. And we wrote thousands and thousands of postcards. And um, I think our, our field game won uh, and, and is the reason why we had such, um, such a huge min- margin of victory. Now, often, I mean, there's, there's always been this reputation that Republicans do so much better in off-year or special elections especially because they tend to be better organized and are, and are more concentrated on doing what's needed to get their voters out. Mm-hmm. Now, in this case, obviously, you did so much better than, let's say, the typical Democrat in the past in trying to get for a special election. Did the state party help? Was there just things that you new as far as getting people to help out? Do you think it's the energized base? I'm just curious. I make the joke that I was just along for the ride. Um, And, you know, I knocked a lot of doors myself, but I am really grateful to Stephen Weber and the state party. Um, They stepped up and played a huge role. And, um, you know, just as a friend, Stephen Weber, who's run a state Senate race, could could give advice about, you know, I, I make sure that you're putting this person in place by this date. And, you know, he would offer that kind of advice. But they also ended up playing a, a financial role. And um, and and so they, they really supported me and my campaign in so many different ways, and many of which I don't even know, right? Um, and then I'd also say that Senator Claire McCaskill, uh, to her credit, she, she also recognized this as a really important race. And um, we were able to open our headquarters in our campaign office early because she put in and she understood how important it was to have that resource and put some backing. How much money or in-kind did you get from the senator and how much money or in-kind contribution did, did you get from the state party? Um, so the senator, she maxed out. Um, and so Which is like $2,600. Yeah, and she actually was one of the first people to, to write me a campaign contribution. Um, and I think it was both because I really needed the money early and, and also it was quite symbolic that she really wanted to see me succeed in, in this race. Um, but uh, there, there was a lot of of different groups who saw this as, a, as an important win. And, um, you know, it's not just the state party, it's not just Claire McCaskill, but a lot of labor groups endorsed in this race, not only endorsed, but expected their members to show up and knock doors or make phone calls. Um, and so we had, we had a really diverse coalition of which I'm really proud uh, that so many people stepped up and and really put in the work to make it possible. Are there any lessons for uh, Missouri Democrats to take from your huge victory? Yeah, um, there is momentum and people are eager to 
eager and inclined to get involved. And it's really important that we're capitalizing on that. I also think we focused, we focused our campaign on a message that affects working families. What was that message? Basically that the people in Jefferson City have, for the last several years, prioritized the pet projects of billionaires and corporations. And it's been to the detriment of everyone else. And I think that there was this sharp juxtaposition that told that story where this year, while everyone was distracted by Eric Greitens and his scandals and misconduct, um, the legislature repealed, partially repealed prevailing wage, passed paycheck deception, um, a number of initiatives that are meant to hurt working fam families and lab the labor community, while also then you know cutting our corporate tax rate from 6.25% down to 4% so that now we have the second lowest corporate tax rate in the country. Um, and not to mention that that they did it with such haste that we almost blew a $60 million hole in the budget because that fiscal note uh, hadn't been correctly vetted. And so I just question the kinds of decisions being made and um, you know who, whose interest the General Assembly works in. Now, what do you think that the year of victory says to Republicans? Um, I hope I hope for Republicans have super majorities in the House and the Senate, and sometimes it feels like they govern without any consideration. The majority of Missourians are in the middle, and many many lean left. And I feel like you know we've seen more extreme legislation passed. We've seen. Um, legislation that isn't always properly vetted passed and I hope that you know going forward they'll remember that that this isn't just a red state there are a lot of people with varied backgrounds and and varied interests um, who also deserve a say and consideration as we're passing legislation and I hope at the end of the day people govern from a more um, moderate centrist place. Now, did the social issues play any part at all in your campaign, or was it pretty much an economic message? We stayed focused on pocketbook issues, the kinds of issues that families discuss around the table. Um, and, you know, it, it was really interesting. I will spend a little time describing it because I'm sure people in St. Louis didn't realize the kind of campaign that was being run against me. But there were two TV ads and hundreds of thousands of dollars spent in these attack ads against me. The first um, said that I was ultra-liberal and super-partisan and while also saying that I cut programs that help kids and seniors, which is a little bit of an incoherent message. But more than that, there was a picture of a toddler throwing a tantrum. And they said that Lauren Arthur is a temper tantrum thrower. And so I heard from a lot of women. I found that incredibly uh, misogynistic and not born in reality. I, I've kept a very cool head during my four years in, in the legislature. And so it was sort of this odd non sequitur, but they decided to go with that. And I think there were a lot of women uh, who found that offensive. Then the second ad, uh, unfortunately, there was a shooting. and in the Northland, in the district that I now represent. And um, 
it was what was it a school shooting or it it was there were several, there were a few people shot and one person died and the shooter was a four-time deportee and um it's a tragic situation but the the ad connected me to that shooting and said that I was in some ways responsible because I had voted for amnesty and that uh, it was all based around the fear-mongering around the issue of immigration. Now, you and I know that in terms of state policy, we really have no authority, and I couldn't even vote for amnesty if, if that that's not a possibility at the state level. Uh, and so it was very misleading, it was very dishonest, and it exploited a tragic situation um, that was very fresh in people's minds. And, you know, there are family members, there are friends who saw this ad and, and also took offense. So those were the kinds of issues that they tried to attack me with. They also mentioned abortion and guns. And at the end of the day, I'm very proud that the people in the senatorial district rejected those kinds of political messages and, in my opinion, listened to their better angels and, and rejected that muck. What sort of ads did you run? I take it you you were also on TV. Yes. Um, the first was just an, an introductory ad. It talked about my passion for education and my passion for making sure that um, people, that everyday Missourians have a strong voice in the legislature. Uh, and then the second ad was a contrast ad. And it talked about um, how my opponent has sort of preferenced corporations ahead of constituents and the kinds of legislation that he sponsored gives employers uh, more power and employees fewer rights. And um, so we, we went with that message of, and you know, I think that it's borne out in his record that that there is sort of a preference for corporations over people. So who, um, uh, you got a lot of congratulations. Anything that struck you as far as who called? Um, Governor Mike Parson made a very gracious phone call that night and wished me congratulations. And uh, I think he has restored a lot of decency to the governor's office, which I appreciate. I think we should have more civility and political discourse and uh, so it's nice to see a, a return to that and um, you know I will say he's a very conservative person we have super majorities in the house and the senate and um, I expect that you know we'll govern very much from a republican you know more conservative place but it is nice to see that there was an effort put into um, reaching out and uh, and I appreciate it. And Ryan Sylvie um, also called and wished me congratulations as well. And we have plans to sit down sometime in the next few weeks. And I'll be picking his brain over, uh, you know, what he would recommend in terms of representing that area. Uh, Senator, your name is still on the ballot for re-election this fall. How will that be handled? Do you know? Right now we're working on getting a court order to have my name removed and there has been a Democrat and a Republican who filed for the, the election in November. And once my name is removed, um, hopefully in the next few days, then the Democrat will go on um, to succeed me. And he has my full endorsement. And I 
look forward to working with him in the legislature. What's his name? Wes Rogers. Okay. And uh, I'm also here with my colleague who I've kind of hogged the mic a bit, uh, Marshall Griffin, who is based here in Jeff City. Uh, Marshall, is there any particular questions you'd like to ask the senator-elect? Well, speaking as kind of the uh, the engineer of today's podcast, <laughs> <laughs> when you first heard that you had uh, won the special election, what was what was the first thought going through your mind when you heard the, that you were going to be uh, replacing or succeeding Ryan Sylvie as the 17th district senator? I'm just so grateful. I was so excited very sleep deprived, but really elated about the opportunity. And, um, you know, it felt like a win that belonged to my volunteers. I was happy for them that their work paid off. And I was really happy for the voters who turned out in June. Um, I got messages from people saying that they were delaying their vacations or for the first time in 65 years they were voting absentee. And it seemed like voters were especially engaged and excited and I was happy for them that they also felt so much like they were a part of it. Um, and of course I'm most excited that I now get to go serve in the Senate and represent an area where I grew up, an area that I love, an area that I want to see do well. Um, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to make that place a little bit better. I'm sure you are aware of the difference in the, uh, the, the way that the House and the Senate work. We, we've, we've heard criticisms from members of the House about the slow pace of the Senate and how a few senators seem to clog everything up. Um, have you had a chance to meet any of the, your future Senate colleagues or to study um, how you want to approach um, being a senator? I don't know if I'll change my approach. I, Just like I did in the House, I look forward to building relationships with other senators and finding areas where there's common ground and on issues that I think affect constituents in all parts of Missouri. Um, you know, I think there is more of an opportunity to work with people on substantive issues. I like the deliberative process and I like spending time and and thinking deep on issues and making sure that we're doing it correctly. And um, and so I'm, I'm really excited. I, I know in the Senate you may be with someone on this issue and then the next bill you're enemies with that person. And um, I, look, I like looking at every bill, every piece of legislation and really thinking through how it's going to affect people back home and how we can make it, um, make it a little better and in some cases, you know, take bad legislation and hopefully kill it. We've seen the uh, the time limits, and I guess there are time constraints when uh, a bill is being debated on the House floor, even though we've, some bills get a lot of time. As a senator, you will have an unlimited amount of time, generally speaking, to uh, if, if you want to get up and talk about something. And no one really, I don't know if anyone really likes using the F word, which in the Missouri Senate means filibuster. <laughs> but have you thought about, if you do take part in a filibuster, have you thought about uh, what you might talk about yet? Uh, any books you've selected? You <laughs> well, I am young. My legs are strong. And I uh, will, Good for you. <laughs> will be happy to stand up and talk for as long as it takes. But uh, I will spend the summer reading quite a bit, and I'm a history major, I'm a history nerd, and um, 
love reading different biographies. Um, <laughs> I also am a Royals fan. I feel like I could sort of, I can never replace Senator Sylvie. I know he was an avid Royals fan too, but I am happy to carry that mantle and talk about uh, Royals baseball should the need occur. <laughs> I think uh, we're just about done here, uh, according to the battery sign on my uh, on my uh, recorder. I mean, will you be active this fall at all in helping other Democrats, or do you feel like you need to be focused on the seat you just won at this point? I can I can do it all. I'm planning on meeting with constituents over the next several months and putting together legislative proposals and setting up a listening tour um, to get feedback on some of the ideas I have and, and hopefully to generate and listen to constituents' feedback and ideas um, for what to work on next year. But aside from that, there are a lot of competitive seats. I think if we had more balance at the State House, we would see better policy, we would see better governance. This election proved that if we have candidates and we have record number of candidates this year. If we have candidates and if they're willing to work hard and they're willing to talk about issues that affect working families, that they'll stand a pretty good chance to win. Um, so I'll be knocking doors for those candidates, hopefully answering any questions they have and um, working to get more Democrats elected because I think when there's more balance, it's, it serves overall the interests of the state. Have you been getting much national attention? I mean, I've been seeing it, but have, have like neither national party figures or national press or whatever been calling you since your victory? Yeah, it's so surreal. I when they when I hear this campaign and this win discussed, it still feels like they're talking about someone else. Uh, so I'm I'm expecting over the next few days this will sink in and it will feel more real, but. Um, yeah, there's been a lot of attention, and thankfully I have uh, sisters and, and parents and a husband who <laughs> like to keep me grounded and remind me that, uh, you know, this is, this is going to pass and that there's hard work ahead and um, that there are dirty dishes in the sink that we need to take care of too. So keeping my head uh, in check very much so. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, our listeners will be able to read more, aside from listening to this podcast, which will be posted the next day or two. I um, also have a little more detailed web post with it. And you can check out all of our stories at stlpublicradio.org. You can follow me on Twitter at jmanis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. You can follow Marshall on Twitter at... At Marshall G. Report. Okay, and you can follow the Senator-elect. At Rep. Lauren Arthur. So we may need a new handle at some point. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you might want to change that just, just to send Lauren Arthur. Also, are you on Facebook? Can yes, people follow you? they can look me up at Lauren Arthur. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate your time. Appreciate Senator Gina Walsh's generosity in letting us use her office. And until next time, so long. <laughs>